You are listening to Night Talk, giving you depth and texture to the conversations that matter. It is 11 minutes after 10 p.m. and you're listening to the Wednesday edition of Night Talk. My name is Oliver Dixon. Thank you so much for your company this evening. Appreciate it. Uh, Lebuang Ramafoko, who's the executive director at Oxfam, joins me for this conversation. Lebuang, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's 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 sad that, you know, you and I, I think it's our, maybe our third, perhaps even our fourth time this year talking about teenage pregnancy because it's an unending problem in the country. And I think Christmas Day was a useful day to highlight uh, the everyday normality of underage girls giving birth in South Africa, oftentimes that emanating from rape and oftentimes that emanating from unfortunate circumstances. Um, but it, it, it is a question, the question we need to ask is how do we, what are the immediate interventions to turn this picture around? Uh, but perhaps we should ask ourselves just how bad is the picture and, 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 and uh, how much of it are we not paying attention to? Yeah, thank you for having me. I mean, I think the whole issue of teenage pregnancy is also a euphemism. We need to be talking about child abuse and child rape because what we are seeing is a breakdown and a failure in the system to call a problem what it is, which is child abuse and child rape. Now, in a study that was done in the Western Cape, on violence, uh, GBV, in high schools, uh, it was called Guanele study. Uh, the staggering statistic, and I don't remember the figures right now, was that many children at primary school had experienced uh, uh, violence, abuse, and sexual abuse from people that they knew, either at the home or even in the school, from teachers. And now, you know, the obsession we have as South Africans is that statistics come out, but you don't see how they also influence the planning that we have. And your question was, what are the immediate things that we can do? The immediate thing that we can do is to hold everybody in the chain responsible for what they are meant to do. So, for an example... If a child in a community is pregnant and a child carries that pregnancy to full term, you would need to find out how many people in authority were meant to raise alarm who did not do so and why did they not do so. And if the problem is the fact that you are not holding them responsible, how can you make sure that you hold them responsible? But I think there is also a big awareness we need to paint in the society that we have a big problem of child abuse in our communities. And I think just as a society, we are closed to what is child abuse, what does it look like, and what can we do at an individual, a community, and a societal level, but also what laws are there and what can be done if you suspect that a child is abused. Yeah, and, and if we're talking about holding accountable every player in the in the chain, what is, and, and perhaps before I ask the question, which is what does that accountability look like? Because I would imagine it's different for every player in the child chain, uh, depending on how much power, responsibility, and influence they carry. Uh, but perhaps let's start asking the question, who are the players in the chain? Well, there's various players in the in the in the in the in the chain. 
So, for an example, um, the children are most likely to be going to school. So, what is happening at school level? What are some of the interventions that can happen at school when a teacher uh, recognizes, even before there is, um, there is pregnancy, because not all children who are abused will fall pregnant. But pregnancy yes. of children is a big indicator that there was sexual abuse. Now, how are we uh, uh, equipping uh, schools and teachers um, to basically uh, detect abuse, but also what it is that they can do? You know, we've got uh, auxiliary social workers that have been trained. Many of them are not being employed to go in into schools and help teachers with um, a number of, of, the, of, 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 of the problems, the social problems that they see in schools. But often, um, and this is in my role when I was still at Soul City, when we were running the Soul Buddies Club, uh, these teachers who were volunteering and they were uh, uh, doing activities with children would tell you that often their own peers would victimize them if they would know of a peer uh, that is known to be sleeping with children. They would, mm. they, their own peers, the other teachers. Now, what are teacher unions saying? I mean, there have been so many reports of uh, jobs uh, that some teachers would get, uh, you know, uh, uh, in exchange of sex, etc. So yeah. what, are, what, are, what are, you know, school unions, uh, I mean, teacher unions uh, 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 saying? Um, if this child presents at a clinic or at a hospital, or uh, what, what is the role of the healthcare worker who sees a child who comes in 14, 15? Now we've got a we've got a we've got a very twisted uh, mentality around teenage sexuality, yeah. and I think what it does is that it excuses the abuser. Because the reason why the abuser can get away is because the way we look at children, you know, we, we even label them. I also do one out, you know, this is a mm. naughty child. These children know too much. You know, they already know about sex. They already know about, about this. And, and when I say it excuses the abuser, I'm saying rather than focus on what are adults doing with children, even older men with teenagers around 17, 18, we then turn and victim blame. We blame the person who, who comes in clearly, very clear that something happened. It was most likely done by an adult. And we twist it, uh, particularly with girl children, you know, and we twist it. Um, but also there is also some societal norms we have to change. In some instances where there have been rapes, families can come and somebody brings a goat, brings a cow, brings a chicken, and basically say, well, I'm, I'm here to apologize. I'll take care of the family. And in all of that, you are getting adults who are acting in a manner that silences the child, but also covers up for the adults, starting with our, our, our values that we have around child sexuality or teenage sexuality, to just the way that we think we can negotiate these things and cover them up or cover up for our own, you know, for our, you know, for our peers, as, as I made a previous uh, example. So I guess but I'm the, just trying to tell yeah. you how many people in that chain are themselves complicit when a child is, 
is 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 pregnant. You know, you describe the problem really to its heart and its core, but there's a despondency that it 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 you know brings about in me, uh, Lebu, and that is. Well, clearly, it seems that solving this problem requires a re-engineering of society and social norms. How do you get society, particularly men, uh, sexist, misogynistic, patriarchal men, from sexualizing children? How do you get them to stop doing that? Because that's where it begins, as you describe the problem, right? Um, and and, and mm. it, it, it seems to me that if somebody is busy sexualizing a 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old, uh, that that there's no redemption for such a man in society, that that person is likely uh, to rape and impregnate a, a girl child, or that at least that they have a propensity and a capacity to do so. Uh, and if, if we can't change that, then it means that this is a problem that's going to live and be with us for as long as time exists. Look, I agree with you, but let's break it down in a way that is a lot more practical. And And one of them is, you know, I, I'm a proponent of that if we did small things right, <laughs> we would be able to change social norms. Um, so I, I'll go back to the school. Um, we know the communities that we live with, with apartheid spatial planning, that many of the children, um, they are parents, mainly mothers, because many children grow up in single-headed households, they yeah. will leave home um, very early in the morning to travel to employment and only come back late. Now, we haven't planned for that. You know, school will end at 2 o'clock, and between 2 o'clock to 6 or 7 o'clock, many children are alone, roaming the streets, being in the streets. We haven't can planned I, can, 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 I, can I pause you there? Because that, that seems to be a very unique problem that as a spatial class and uh, historical context to that, perhaps I want us to drill into it a little bit. But I need us to take a break here, Lebo. We're going to continue the conversation on the other side of this. Give me a call. The number to dial is 86 I'm taking your reactions. 86 I'm also taking your WhatsApp voice notes on 614 107. Night Talk, giving you depth and texture to the conversations that matter. You're listening to Night Talk. My name is Oliver Dixon. Thank you so much for your time this evening. I really appreciate it. And we're talking about teenage pregnancy. Once again, highlighted to us when the birth-giving stats of Christmas Day were released. I'm um, in conversation with Lebukang Ramafoko, who is the executive director of Oxfam South Africa. Uh, Lebukang, uh, to, to, to that, you say that we haven't really planned for uh the choreography of everyday life uh parents go to work kids go to school kids come back from school much earlier than parents do and they're left to their own devices for quite some time they're left vulnerable and unsafe and and and, and that's where a lot of things can go wrong um and but that seems to be a thing that you know one you're right society and perhaps even government have a plan for it but you know and and and, and i'll insert my own my own experience and privilege here right is that I came home around the same time as my parents because I had the privilege and the opportunity of participating in extracurricular activities after school. Um, by the time I came home, I was as exhausted as my parents were, and if we fell into a routine of homework and all of these sorts of things, right? Um, and, and, and it strikes me that where there are no support systems, where there's no community planning, uh, where there's no extracurricular activity, um, where there's no enrichment programs for, for, for children, 
girl children seems to fall vulnerable and victim to the absence thereof, the worst, uh, and the cost thereof is rape and pregnancy. Um, and, 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 and to that, where is that piece of planning failing at? Well, it fails at all levels, unfortunately. You know, we are not a country that cannot do. We are a country that do not care. You know, um, we've got buildings in, in communities. Um, and again, I'll go to my experience when I was at Soul City. Soul City did a study of young people who had ever been a member of a Soul Buddies club. That is years after they had participated in a club. And the findings were telling. Young people that had been a member of a Soul Buddies club were most likely to finish high school. Young women who had ever been a member of a club were less were, were delayed sexual debut. So your experience doesn't have to be a rich experience. Your experience of being able to be in a school with a trained and probably a, a screened adults uh, who can occupy children up to a certain uh, a stage proves that you can actually improve their results. In a community where I come from in Manziville, I've got a person who's volunteering, a, a good friend of mine, who has identified a building in a church where children can come. They get taught by volunteers um, who, who she pays out of her own pocket, and they basically get a meal, and she then um, uh, deals with social problems. So what I'm saying is that this is not rocket science. And that is why I say I am a big proponent of doing small things, but doing them right. And I think if we did that, and then yeah. we strengthened our criminal justice system, we strengthened uh, the ability of teachers and nurses to identify child abuse and intervene, and we will be able to do that. So in fact, what we are talking about right now, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this particular case of, uh, of, of, of my friend in, in Manziville, in Krugelsdorp, not because of anything, but because of what an individual can do. Now, imagine if yeah. as a society, local government could put money into recreational facilities. But there's a lot that we can do as societies. I mean, you go into every township, another campaign that I was involved in around alcohol, you know, the amount of young people that you could employ, you could screen, you could train to look after children. Our sense of Ubuntu, we talk about Ubuntu in commercial terms, but not in real terms. Our sense of black consciousness sadly seems like it died with Abostiv Vigo of loving ourselves. And loving ourselves means that you love another black person particularly in our communities, uh, the ability that we could have done uh, of basically making sure that when, when, when the bell rings at two, there is probably young people we can employ, who can come in there, we have screened them, we have trained them, they occupy, we use sports, we use culture. I mean, there is no community that does not have a school. There is no community that does not yeah. have a church. But sadly, some of these abuses happen in these very places. You know, mm. in churches, in, 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 in schools, etc. But we don't have that consciousness that comes with what can I do for two hours in my community. But we also don't have, I mean, as people are playing politics and, you know, um, you look at Gauteng, you know, this one, the party is outing that one. Every other week you've got a mayor. When people are playing those politics, the society is burning. 
Mm. And I think casualties are going to be children. And like always, as you said, we live in a patriarchal society. It is going to be young women. Yeah. Uh, and, and when we begin to, by the way, good to hear that you're from Manziville. I'm from that side of the world as well. And that a lot of community outreach work in Manziville itself, a place very dear to my heart. When we begin to, to, to do the, the, the necessary policy planning for these sorts of programs where, uh, let's call it doing small things right, uh, as, as, as you dubbed it there, a lot of the small things we can do, we can do right and we need to do it. As you say, we're not a country that can't do, we're a country that doesn't care. How do we begin that? How do we begin that planning? How have how has government's policy imagination not reached that point where it asks itself, how do we ensure uh, that we give an enriching uh, experience to, to to our young children in townships to make sure that we have the so, this, the form of social employment uh, programs that you speak about where young people become peers and protectors uh, to children in schools where we empower teachers to be able to identify uh, and assist where they are able to identify abuse uh, and patterns thereof where we're able to make sure that community resources are available for young people to uh, uh, remain out of uh, the vulnerability of idleness um, and, 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 and the ramifications thereof. How I'm, I'm pretty sure that there must have been some policy imagination in that direction. How just have we not gotten to it at scale? Well, there is policy, um, and, and our policies are beautiful, but they are beautiful for shells. Uh, there are pockets of excellence, and I guess it's because we don't care about the poor. That, and, and, and I'm sorry to, to, to put it as bland as that. You know, um, and I guess there's also the issue of leadership at a local level. I often say that, you know, if I was running a developmental state, my, my, my greatest skills would be at local level. Because democracy means very little if at local level your clinic does not work well, the yeah. street lighting is not there, there are potholes, um, you go into a clinic and you don't get the services that you want. It means nothing. So local government is the, the tier for me of government where we need to be deploying some of our sharpest, our sharpest skills. But what happens? It becomes a, 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 you know, a bonfire of who gets on the list and who's on which slate and, 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 and then what happens. And then we play yeah. politics. And, and, I, and, 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 and so I think for me, uh, the sadness of it is that I don't know how, what must happen in our society, how bad things must go for us to stop playing politics and say, you know what, as a community, we want to have people, um, you know, even as we head to 2024, that are going to be and come in and are going to work because they know how to do it and they are basically going to do it. It seems as if we've got a political system that is, uh, pardon my language, but rotten to the core, in a sense that promises are made, promises are broken, and nothing happens to those that, that you know, that need promises. I mean, that yeah. make the promises. But what you do see is that the, the other thing that we could do is to sustain and scale up programs that work. When I left Soul City over four years ago, um, you were leaving programs that, had proved that they work, but for reasons unbeknown, you know, they were being stopped, they were being cut, 
you know, we also have this big obsession of uh, wanting solutions now. You know, we don't want to to sustain, to learn, to to expand on programs that have worked. We want a solution and we want it now. And and I think that's also our obsession. You know, we also want to grab on sometimes programs that were not even conceptualized in our own country. Uh, we want to duplicate them and sometimes they don't learn. There is a, a, a huge question of financing and supporting some of the organizations on the ground that are trying to do the work, that are trying to work. There are glimmers of hope. I'm glad that you spoke about social employment because, in fact, the teaching assistants took young people into schools in large numbers uh, by the Department of Basic Education to really go and help teachers. You know, it's easy to be sitting here and saying teachers must, teachers must. But when you are sitting with 30 children, poor resource area, a whole lot of social problems, there isn't that much time. But I do think that while I have said that, the example I gave you about teacher unions pressurizing uh, teachers not to take action against their peers, we need to ask ourselves, particularly because um, our ruling party, current ruling party, is also in alliance with one of the bigger teacher unions, is what happens. What is the, the accountability that we have of each other? when we know yeah. that some of our own are also perpetrating some of the problems that we have. We need, we need a, a new social consciousness, man. I, and, and what is said is the fact that it's, it's not going to be overnight. But, but yes, it's about action more than policy. I think we've got enough policy statements that allow us to deal with some of, this, um, with some of these problems. But we need massive, massive social education around teenage sexuality. Sometimes when you hear adults argue about some of these, um, you know, yeah, is this children? Yeah, it's because of this. You say, really? I mean, when, when you know that your own friends, your own peers are sleeping with children, and then you are basically going to blame children, how does that happen? You know, so we also need massive, massive investment in social education, in public education about yeah. what is abuse, how do you identify it and what you need to do. Uh, we thank you so much again for your time and your insights. I really, really do appreciate and hopefully we'll start seeing the tide turning. Lebo Ramafoko, who is the director, executive director of Oxfam South Africa. That's where we're going to end that conversation.